on the Starting 11 podcast, we look towards the FA Cup fourth round tie, as well as talk a little VAR controversy and look at a local club with Toronto FC. All that and more coming up on the Starting 11 podcast. Welcome to episode three of the Starting Eleven podcast. I am your host Justin Borrow, and with me today is Chengiz Khan. Hello. And did you know that BDSM stands for Buddhism? <laughs> Got it. Gotcha. Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, it's a tradition. It's a tradition, and it's not dying down anytime soon. Looking forward to it. <laughs> and with me as well is Peter Robinson. I don't have any funny jokes, but I'm here. I mean, that's a pretty funny joke. <laughs> I was going to say, if you guys want a really funny joke, it would be Chengiz's punctuality. Oh, Okay, for context for the viewers, there is a snowstorm outside that I have not seen the likes of in a couple of years since I've been here in Canada. And it took me, it took me three and a half hours to get from Toronto to Brampton, where we're recording, Usually, this is the 35-minute drive. I got to say, that's commitment. That is commitment. Well, I just want to say that I appreciate the fact that you guys still made it out here in a snowstorm to uh, to do this and talk just, I mean, to keep the references on brand with football, we are hashtag here to create, so. <laughs> <laughs> How many of our viewers will, or listeners will actually understand that reference, I wonder? I think any of them that play FIFA. Any of them that have played the journey or, in or, FIFA will. Or like Adidas. Or Adidas. <laughs> <laughs> all day i dream about sports hashtag not that although i still don't know if that's what it actually stands for hmm? uh, all day i dream about sports if you're a hip-hop enthusiast it stands for something completely different of course why would it not stand for the one is thing it that adidas? it should stand for is it adidas or adidas adidas i say adidas, adidas. Oh, who said adidas of course wrong? You have. i don't know you're you're english so i mean <laughs> yeah no, I'm always right. That's fine. That was gonna say. <laughs> you guys yeah, I guess we have to trust him. Right. Yeah, he I invented mean, the language. It's true. Yeah, but I, it's, it's I a personally... German name. It's a German name, I guess. Well, so. I got yelled at once for using the word aluminum because apparently it's aluminium. Aluminium. It is yeah. aluminium, considering the Germans did invent the element. I'm inclined to say the way they invented it. That that's fair. Yeah, <laughs> you got nothing. All right, guys. Uh, let's quickly start off on uh, a solemn note. Uh, we're going to quickly talk about uh, one Emiliano Sala, uh, the 28 year old, played for FC Nantes. Uh, he had just signed a record contract with uh, Cardiff City. It was 15 million pounds. Um, and uh, sadly, on his way from Nantes over to Cardiff, uh, he was flying in a, a single engine. Uh, Piper Malibu plane across the English Channel. Uh, they lost contact near uh, Grenazi, um, and the plane has yet to be found with either of the player, uh, the player or the pilot, David Ibbotson. Um, so I just want to say that all of us here at the starting eleven send our thoughts and prayers to the Sala family, and we are praying for a miracle. Uh, and I mean, there's not really much else that we can say on this matter. But if you boys have something you want to say, please feel free. I think it's just—it's a very tragic very preventable thing that happened and yeah just it's just one of those stories that just hits you right where you live you know and yeah i don't really have much to say else about it no it's just a really sad situation obviously it, a, a young relatively young player still really excited to go play uh you know in one of the top leagues in the world and uh unfortunately his his career is being cut short um but what i really like to see is all the players kind of uh, coming together to fund the uh, the rescue or at least the the search and rescue portion of it? Um, a lot of the big name players are starting to give a little bit more cash uh, in order to pay for third parties. I think Mbappe was thirty thousand euros, yeah, which was huge. And I think Nicola yeah. Conte off, also offered. I'm not sure the number, but he offered to finance a, a huge portion of it as well. Yeah. Uh, Rabio, you were saying Peter um, also donated a huge chunk of money. So it, it is nice to see that um, these players are kind of coming together in the spirit of football um, to try and help out a, a fellow player in, in a situation that I don't think any of us would want to be in uh, or have anybody that we know in. Um, but yeah, so we're going to just sort of uh, leave it at that for now until we have more information. Um, but for those of you listening, 
we are still drinking beer this week. That has, that has not <laughs> that doesn't been forgotten. Change. That does not change. <laughs> so uh, I'm actually going straight to Peter because he uh, supplied the cerveja this week. Today it's the uh, Downtown Brown. So it's a nut brown ale by Amsterdam Breweries, uh, another Toronto uh, brewery. It's actually probably one of my favorite craft beers. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying it. It's very nice. It is good, yeah. It's, it's yeah. different than last week. It's not as hoppy. It doesn't have as much of a kick to it. It goes as down I, as very smoothly, too. It does, yeah. yeah. I'm not normally a huge brown ale fan. Um, I prefer more like a lager or, or a wheat beer. But um, oh, Yeah, yeah I was going to say, this, this is good. This reminds me of uh, Fuller's Ale. Fuller's a London-based brewery. London, UK, not Because <laughs> we do have one here. You um, pretentious dick. Sim- Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> similar, similar kind of profile to that. That's my input because I'm not a beer person, but there you go. You, oh, yeah, that's right. So CK prefers his next cider. Week. Next week. <laughs> next week, yeah. All right, guys. So uh, this weekend we had some FA Cup fixtures. Uh, let's just say that I think the one way that we can wrap up all of the events from this weekend is the magic of the FA Cup. Uh, we saw some amazing giant killing happening, which we'll get into. But let's start off with the marquee match of the weekend. Uh, United at Arsenal. Romelu Lukaku coming up huge with two assists on the night. Uh, absolutely fantastic finish by Alexis Sanchez against his old club. Uh, the way that he just takes it away from Peter Cech, turns, still has to kind of make that shot while falling. Uh, beautiful finish. The question for you, though. Is Lukaku better on the right wing than striker? It looks it. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I, w- I was talking to Peter actually while we were waiting for you to um, make your trek in from Mount Everest. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, that Clearly it, not living that down. That it was, um, it was actually interesting because I was saying that this game, I think, showed Solskjaer's ability to have tacti- tactical awareness. And the fact that he saw Arsenal, he saw where Arsenal was weak. And he put Lukaku on that right hand side there, and they they killed Arsenal on the counter attack. That was that was great tactical awareness by Solskjaer, and I think he's now starting to show that he's not just a, a placeholder, uh, but instead he actually is a manager who who kind of knows what he's doing at this point. And I, I think that the 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 questions of whether or not he should get this job are starting to become more and more prominent, and we're starting to see the answer is most likely yes. I think he 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 definitely seems like a shoe in at this point, but I gotta I gotta ask really big questions of Unai Emery. Those two goals were in two minutes, and they came pretty much through Lukaku in the same way. Kolasinac was really high up on high up the pitch, as he does though. As he is, sure. But the thing is, if you've just been exposed because you're too high up the pitch, why are you continuing to be up the pitch? Are you just writing that off as a fluke? No, that that goal was very well worked. It wasn't just some counter attack. It was. You know, there was real space being exploited. There were real good runs being made. There was a tactical intelligence about the way United scored both those goals. So why didn't Arsenal adapt to that quick enough? I mean, to let in two goals in two minutes, that's that's just unacceptable for any club, especially of Arsenal stature. I think United were very threatening. So they were threatening Arsenal, especially the, the loss of Socrates early. Um, it really didn't help Arsenal at all. Um, you kind of lose that defensive linchpin that you kind of needed. Um, but I think Solskjaer putting Lukaku out on that wing and sort of identifying that Lukaku's very attacking-minded. He's a striker. He's not a winger. And he has pace to he has pace to burn, though. That's how he made his name. Well, exactly. And he's not he's not going to worry so much about defending. So all he's going to do is attack. And Kolasinac should have seen that and should have tracked back, and he didn't. And it hurt them. So he's got he's got a pace to burn, but then also as a as a defender, because I like for me as a centre back slash right back, I can sort of imagine myself in that situation where you are caught like the the opponent is in between the two players, and as a fullback, your uh, your job is to mark the winger. Your job is to make sure you shut down those channels that he can run into, and always stay goal side of them. Because if you're not, if you're in that position where Kalasnich is. The centre-back now has a huge problem on the hands because not, you're not just dealing with any winger. You're dealing with Lukaku, who's strong, who's fast, who's surprisingly technical on the ball, as you saw with the two assists. So, you know, naturally you see an attacker breaking forward. You know, um, I think it was Mustafi who had to break lines. He had to, he had to cover off Kolasinac. Kolasinac didn't get back, back quick enough. Suddenly there's a huge gaping hole in the middle, and that's where Sanchez uh, ran into. That's where Lingard sort of picked all up or picked the ball up. I think the right back was in the centre back position by the end of the play. 
And it's just like, I don't know how much of it is Arsenal switching off and how much of it is just Lukaku being a nightmare to, to mark. I think it was both. And um, you got, I think Koscielny was not on his, his game on Friday night whatsoever. Um, stepping up, I mean, in that third goal from RCL, stepping up to try to play the offside, it was just, it wasn't the right, it was not right, the right move at that time. And he just let him walk right in. So I think that defensively, Arsenal were just not with it. But I think that it's not fair to, to sort of throw it all on them and take away the fact that United just played better. United were just the better team. Lukaku, you know, he just, he had that awareness to find Lingard, to find Sanchez where he did, and for those guys to make those runs. And uh, after the game, Lukaku was talking, uh, and he actually had said that before the game, he was speaking to Sanchez, and he said, look, you run into that box, I'm going to find you. He's like, I'm going to gift you a goal. And he did. And it was, it was, it was, that was the moment he just, he saw him and, and Sanchez made that run and he placed it perfectly and good on Sanchez for finishing it. So let's quickly talk about Jesse Lingard, who decided to make the Emirates his dance floor once again. Moonwalk, baby. <laughs> it, oh my goodness gracious. It was fantastic. I mean, I, I mean, the most exciting part about it was the fact that Arsenal Fan TV had a full-blown meltdown that Peter and I sat here and watched for a good 30 minutes today. Imagine imagine being an Arsenal season ticket holder, paying all that money just to see Jesse Lingard disrespect the hell out of your... Jesse Lingard, of all people. Like, I, I don't know what it is about Lingard. I know he's talented and yada yada, but there's something about him that makes me want to punch him in the he's face. He's smug. I mean, to go to a place like the Emirates, you know, Arsenal's home ground. I mean, Arsenal's a club that has history. Um, I mean, we we can say what we want about their, uh, we can say what we want about their home field, but to go there, score a goal, moonwalk in front of their supporters, then post a picture on Instagram and tag it as dance floor, (laughs) just absolute disrespect. And I love it. Top quality banter though. It's fantastic. And I mean, it just, I was reading on Twitter that a lot of Arsenal fans were kind of hoping that they were able to catch him outside after because there was, there was a lot of hate. In in Anfield, he wouldn't make it out alive. Not least because the exits and entrances are really, really tight. I think doing the Millie Rock last year and now doing the Moonwalk this year, and I wonder what he's going to do next year. He he seems to just be able to find the net at our, like in Arsenal. I just and you know what <laughs> they keep letting him do it. So the, if they just keep letting him score, he's going to keep on dancing. And and Arsenal fans need to recognize that, so they need to shut him down. Do you know what we should do? We should do the the infinite dab dance from Fortnite. <laughs> with just like dabbing forever but get the whole team to do it <laughs> so there's the whole united squad just dabbing no i'm gonna call out jesse lingard right now next time you score teach me how to dougie oh my god <laughs> was, he, was he even I alive he was that? alive when that i think he was alive when that happened yeah. that was like early 2000s i think mid 2000s what's like next soldier boy Oh, <laughs> it might be. Yeah, it's his dance floor. So every oh, time he plays God. at Emirates, he can do whatever he wants. Oh, good times, guys. Uh, so uh, let's quickly jump over now to uh, Spurs. I don't want to talk about it, Justin. <laughs> Spurs and Crystal Palace. I mean, guys, look, Palace showed up to play. All right. Spurs fell apart. And this game really highlighted the lack of depth. First and foremost, let's give a shout out to Connor Wickham scoring his first goal in 799 days in his first start since November of 2016. And it was a fantastic assist by Schlupp. I was I was saying to, to Peter that when I was watching the game, it looked almost like, you know when you play FIFA, how you can turn your game meter up? Like you're, you're, well, I'm, I'm shit at FIFA. So I turn my game up. So I'm a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so like your players are a little bit quicker. So that's how you beat me today. <sighs> no, it doesn't work when you play. <laughs> Anyways. Um, I was just saying that when, when Schlupp kind of made the run for that ball, it looked like he was on fast forward. He was so quick off the mark that yeah. he just, he took the, the Spurs defender by surprise and just to throw it across the box there just to catch uh, it was very, Wickham's leg there. It was very throwback Lampard type goal, just bursting in from the box with the ball and making everybody look static because when you have an on-rushing player, everybody looks slow as hell. Everybody looks like they've, you know, the game meter has been turned up to... What do you play on? 160? 170%? <laughs> I'm teasing, by the way. I actually am quite good at FIFA. I don't have to turn the game meter up. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's stick with the original statement. You're bad at FIFA. <laughs> um, no, but just, just, like those kinds of goals have become so rare because you don't see that kind of box-to-box, burst-into-the-box type play anymore because, well, there aren't any 
real box box midfielders anymore i think that that kind of player has gone out of fashion alongside the number 10 like the like the coutinho or the ozil of yesteryear so peter i I feel like at this point we have to address the elephant in the room which is does daniel levy need to spend some money in the next coming next few days i think if he hasn't by now he's not going to and the reason he's not going to is because at this point if nothing if there's no irons in the fire it's a panic buy and we've done that in the past realistically if he doesn't have any like i said if he doesn't have anything working right now he's not going to do anything you know you're getting son back from the asian cup i won't say asian games this time (laughs) all right (laughs) Uh, so that's going to help out a little bit going forward um and hopefully eric lamella can start to play um like eric lamella like we know he can um but again, I don't see them buying anybody. I see them just rolling with the, the squad that they have. It's not a bad squad. It's just there's, there's too many interchangeable pieces right now that there's no, there's no cohesiveness, I think, in the squad. And right? I, I agree. The problem, though, and this is kind of my rationale for it, is, look, they've just gone out of two cups in the same week. In a week. In a week. Uh, after that loss uh, to Chelsea in the... I mean... It's a whole other argument for another day, but I don't understand why there's not an away goal rule in a two-legged match. Also, I'll point out that the penalties that were taken in the uh, Carabao Cup, one that was saved was Eric Dyer's penalty, and one that was missed in the Crystal Palace match was Kieran Trippier's penalty. Those two English players coming off a huge, uh, a huge World Cup um, win. In a penalty shootout. It was, but, you know, it just goes to show that English players still can't take penalties. That's <laughs> true. Other than, I think, what, Frank Lampard is the only one who can really score. He scored, like, half his goals, half his professional goals came off penalties. Mm. But just to go back to That's what I was saying. Frank. <laughs> it's like 212 goals for Chelsea. Like. <laughs> but just to go back to what I was saying, though, part of the issue is, look, I mean, Spurs, they they face a real situation here. I mean, with the way that... Chelsea are playing, um, which hit her hot or hot or hot and cold. Uh, United are on fire right now. That spot that they have in the top four is not secure. And if they keep on this this run of form uh, and they start to tumble on the table and they fall out of Champions League, well, that's a huge that's a huge chunk of money that the team is now losing. And with all this money being invested in the stadium that hasn't been opened yet, and with the loss of revenue there, the team. I mean, they could face a bit of a financial, I don't want to say crisis to, to over-exaggerate it, but they, would you not say that they could face a, a financial hardship coming up if they do not? Or would you say that Daniel Levy has run the club well enough that you know, he has sort of the, the funds to, to be able to afford not to make a, a, a Champions League place? I think he's run it well enough where we don't really have to worry about the money. Um, I think he's just being very conservative at this point. But like, let's, let's be honest. If they were really hard up for money, you have Barcelona knocking at your door wanting Christian Eriksen. You've got, it's never going to happen, but you have Real Madrid knocking at the door for Harry Kane. You could set world record fees for, at least for Kane, um, and recoup some of that, those funds, and like we did with Bale, and hopefully spend it a little bit more wisely than we did with the Bale money. But there is the opportunity there. Realistically, Spurs need to do something. I don't see them doing anything in this window. They might in the summer. But again, if they don't get Champions League football, it's going to hurt this new stadium. I don't think Spurs are in any kind of financial destitution. Um, you know, the, the stadium, yes, is putting a strain on the finances. Champions League is a huge amount of money per year. The Sky deal now? 8.1 billion or 8.7? I don't know, but it seems to keep going... That number keeps going up every time I hear it. And the DAZN deal as well. Right. So I think there's more than enough money to go around for Spurs. I agree with Peter and, and you, Justin. I think at this point in the window, buying would represent panic buying if they don't have anybody lined up and the rumors have been silent. The rumor mill has been completely silent for Tottenham. Then they don't have anybody lined up and they shouldn't go out and buy somebody just because they need to. I think there's, there's room for potential with... Uh, is it Nkudu? 
And Kudu has always had kind of a an issue where Premier League football is hard for him. He finds the cup football all right because it's against kind of a lesser opposition. Right. Premier League football has always been hard for him. Well, I think there's 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 still there's still some potential there. There is a lot of interesting youth players that Tottenham can bring up. And, you know, if I were Levy, you know, I don't want to spend 40, 50 million or perhaps even more because it's so late in the window and teams aren't going to want to sell. I might look at a Premier League side with uh, a talented striker that's not getting minutes and look into a short-term loan deal with a view to buy at the end if it, if it turns out well. Because let's be honest, Lorente isn't doing anything and you still have a massive cane sized hole there ideally you sign somebody versatile who can who can you know perhaps play on the wings when Mura or Lamella don't show up maybe somebody who is as comfortable being a 10 as a as a 9 you know you need somebody versatile and you need somebody who isn't playing that's a very short list of players to my mind Divock Origi maybe it honestly looked like we were playing with 10 players and that's because of Fernando Lorente mm. and I was going to touch on Lorente there I was going to say that this was a huge chance for him with all of these players out right now for him to step up and show that he deserves a spot in this squad. Um, and I, when his chances came, he flopped. Uh, when you know he had, there was quite a few chances where he he should have put that ball away and he didn't. Um, and you know it brings up a lot of questions regarding him and and his future as as um, you know a member of of the starting eleven for uh, the Spurs. In his in his defense. Not that I particularly believe this or care for it, but in the interest of balance, I think, you know, he hasn't played much at all this season or the last season. He's been mostly relegated to backup. His instincts just need a little bit of time to kick in. I mean, he did score, was it, 26, season, 26 goals for Sevilla, one of these <laughs> Spanish players. I don't know a whole lot about Llorente, but the, but he has got a history of putting in the back of the net. He is a good striker. He perhaps just needs a bit more game time. It's unfortunate that he's been thrust into the spotlight at such a crucial part of the season, but he is still a good-ish player who can lead the line, but he needs to get his act together fast, otherwise we're going to see Nkudu just starting every game until well, Kane gets well, back. Well, speaking of Nkudu, I mean, he had two point-blank opportunities that he could not... My, I mean, yeah, but he's a kid. No, and, and I know that he's obviously young, so the experience is not there, but it was one of those moments where I, I thought back to, I think it was in episode one, where you said, can't hit the broadside of a barn door. Mm. Uh, and that felt to me like race. that moment, I'm thinking to myself, how do you not, the first chance, you know what, all right, keeper catches it, but that second chance, you need to put that away. Mm. I mean, to, to hit it right back at the keeper, you're just that at was, that point. Yeah, that's an a, experience. That is a deflating, deflating moment right there, for not only for you as a player, but for a team. And then to, to quickly touch on Kieran Trippier's, I don't even want to call it a penalty. It was a, a it was a cross. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can say the ball was moving, you can say it threw him off, but he just, you have to hit the target. You take the shot, the keeper stops it. That's one thing, but to just miss the target completely. He hit it like a free kick. Yeah, it was. Oh. If you're in Kudu, how more open do you need to be? Everyone was in the line, in the wall, and you were wide open. All you had to do, you could have taken a touch and place that ball in and say you tried to hit it first time, scuffed it. Luckily, you know, the goalkeeper stopped that one. So it gave you a second shot and you, I don't know what they're missing. They're missing something. They need someone who's just going to come in and bag a few goals when they need a few goals. We can't rely on Harry Winks every week. They're they're missing Harry Kane. Let's, let's maybe, yeah. maybe you should get Teddy Sheringham as a... Bring him back. Yeah. I'll bring Gary Lineker back. We'll bring back everybody. <laughs> as, a, as like an attacking coach. Yeah, finishing exactly. Coach. So that's going to do it here for part one. In part two, we look at some VAR drama at Everton Millwall. We'll also talk about Chelsea, Sheffield Wednesday, and discuss a little local football with Toronto FC. There's been a few uh, rumors happening there, and uh, we're going to talk about that. So all that and more coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Hey, everyone. If you like what you hear so far, please hit that subscribe button and leave a rating and review to let us know your thoughts about the show. We would also love to hear from you, so please feel free to send any comments or questions to the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. That's the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at XI Podcast. Now, let's get back to it. Welcome back to part two of the Starting Eleven podcast. Let's quickly jump into some VAR drama this weekend. We'll start at Everton Millwall. So first and foremost, Marco Silva puts out a full-strength squad. 
I mean, horrible defending. They had no ability to defend any ball that came into the box. Um, and then there was a lot of questions being raised about VAR and its usage and efficiency. So 75th minute, Murray Wallace takes a shot towards goal. It's blocked. Jake Cooper handles it into the net. No call by, my, by referee Michael Oliver. And he awards the goal to Millwall, despite pleas of Marco Silva and the entire Everton team. So I only found out recently um, that only Premier League grounds are equipped with the infrastructure to handle VAR. And this is a problem in itself for a tournament like the FA Cup. So apparently the FA Cup, because VAR is, 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 is prompted to come into uh, the Premier League next season, uh, the FA Cup said that they could do a trial, uh, a trial basis during this tournament. They gave them permission. However, the, the problem with it, like I was saying to Peter earlier, is that it doesn't work because if you only have it in half the stadiums, then it's going less, to less. less than half the stadiums. Then it's going to look like an, like an inefficient technology because you have a situation like this and they turn and go, Oh, well we don't have the technology here. And so it, you don't really get to see it working in action, if that makes sense. Like, so that was sort of my issue. I mean, I think that it was a gaffe on Michael Oliver's part uh, after watching it. I mean, close to probably 50 times. And then today I showed it to Peter a couple times. It is such a blatant and obvious handball. He just swings his arm at it like he's like he's volleying it into the net with his hand. What I mean, VAR has it has its pros and cons. As an MLS fan, a Toronto FC fan, I see it used here all the time. I don't think it's always used in the the best way, but I, I do have my, my thoughts and opinions on it. But I'm, I'm kind of curious. What do you guys think about VAR coming to the Prem next year? I think if you're going to use it in the Prem next year, instead of trialing it in the few games that are played in a, in Premier League stadiums in the FA Cup, just try it in the Prem for a weekend. Try it for two weekends. Try it for a month. See how it works. If it keeps working, then you can just continue it for the rest of the season. I think, you know, Everton obviously uh, came away with the loss against the Millwall handball team. Um, so, you know, they, they came to play the wrong game. I think if you're going to trial it, trial it in, in the actual league it's going to be used in. I understand trying to use it in a in a lower tournament or in a lower league, but if if half the more than half these stadiums you are going to be playing in don't have the technology, it's not an accurate trial. You might as well just try it in all the Premier League clubs. And that's sort of what my my same thoughts were: is that if it's not being used in all the games then it, it doesn't look like it's working and it's going to sort of leave a bad taste in the mouth of fans um, who are sitting here going, well, if it's, if the technology isn't here, then what's the point, right? Like they, they see it as Everton fans, especially being a premier league team are going to see it as an injustice now and not being used as it's supposed to. And I mean, look, I understand the, the technology wasn't there, but like I was saying, then, then, and to touch on like what Peter was saying, then it should just be, trialed in the premier league over a weekend or over a couple of weeks or or however you want to do it uh even if they do a trial season bring it in for one season try it out if you like it great if you don't like it get rid of it but to to sort of do it in a tournament like this it really shows an inefficiency i think the biggest injustice is the way everton play football but that's just me <laughs> um, bias yeah i mean yeah obviously but here's the thing is you cannot have var in some games and, VA, and no VAR in another. You're creating a refereeing inconsistency. If you cannot guarantee VAR in every single game, then why even have it? Because the players are going to be expecting one thing, the managers are going to be expecting one thing, but it's okay. The refs may or may not have a safety net here. It's unfair on the refs. It's unfair on the players. It's unfair to any, any kind of underdog team like Millwall. You know, Millwall definitely had the benefit of the doubt there. And, and it, it went their way, which I'm absolutely shocked by because it's the most blatant handball <laughs> you'll see since Maradona's hand of God. I would say you even had, more, bl like it was uh, as blatant, if not more blatant than Maradona's right. Thierry Henry's, like he full on volleyed it. I was showing Peter today in slow motion. He swings his arm. It's not even like it bounces. He full on just throws the ball into the net almost with his and, forearm. And we know, that, we know that English refs aren't the best. And supposedly Michael Oliver is one of the better ones. You need this technology now, and you need it to be homogenous in every single competition, every single ground, 
screw the Premier League. This needs to be in the Championship, League One, League Two, League Three, whatever the fourth one is, <laughs> Division Four. I don't know, but it needs to be everywhere so that you can get more data on it, so that it can work better, quicker. If you just kind of half-ass it here and there, we're going to be having this conversation in five years from now. You need to just have one tough season where you have whatever it is, like 300 games played in a weekend and just get the data there. And then for like six weeks, we'll have a rough patch and then we'll be fine. Or at least in theory, we'll get better with it. I think it's difficult for players and managers when something is a goal one week and it's not a goal another week yeah, based on the fact that there's another view of it or another eye looking at it. Um, it it's inconsistent. And how can you how can you run a league or a tournament based on inconsistencies like that? Do you think that um, like with refereeing? I mean, we've had the same issue, right? Like refs are some give a handball, some don't. Some have eyes, some don't. Um, do you think it's more? Do you think that's acceptable having refereeing inconsistencies versus um, technological inconsistencies? Because technology is technology; it's supposed to be objective and correct all the time versus the human error aspect of refereeing. I think the human error, for the most part, it's always going to be there. But on controversial calls like that, so any any goal decision, um, any penalty decision, anything that is any going to be... Any card offense. Anything that's going to be super controversial, they would go to VAR for. Um, the fact that VAR wasn't available to be used in this match, obviously it hindered Everton, but at the end of the day, you know, the... The ball is round and they lost. <laughs> <laughs> Got to work it in every episode. I also want to just make a point here by saying that, look, VAR is not to blame for Everton's defeat. And uh, No, they played like none crap. Of, exactly. Everton and their fans are obviously going to jump at that for an out. But the truth is, look, they were not good enough on the night. Millwall took their chances. Everton were horrible in the 18-yard box. They need to defend better. Every single goal, all three goals for Millwall came from crosses into the box. And uh, Peter and I were discussing this at length today before the pod started, that that's sort of the way that, that championship football is played. And, and Millwall just took advantage of it. But for a Premier League team like Everton, you need to be able to handle those balls better. Um, I mean, at this point, I think Jordan Pickford probably hates uh, added time at the end of the 90th minute. I mean, first Liverpool, now this game against Millwall, it's going to haunt him in his dreams. But um, And, you know, look, I understand that that second goal was an injustice. I'm happy to admit that. But... Everton needed to be better. They had a full strength team on the field. Marco Silva put out his first team and for them to lose to a side like Millwall, I mean, it's just, that's unacceptable. Uh, let's just point out that Everton didn't just lose on the pitch. Uh, they also lost at the pub on the corner when the Everton Ultras lost to the Millwall Ultras in the fisticuffs. Millwall fans being absolute redacted here. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. And I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit later on. But also, Millwall are 19th in the championship. Yeah, yeah they're like, not good. Come on. That's what I mean. Like, it's just I'm sorry, but it's that's unacceptable for a, a, a starting, you know, for a, a first team I mean, I'm sure, in I'm, the Premier League. I'm like, sure it's not lost on Everton fans that they had to get into this situation in the first place. But stop making so. I mean, yes, controversial call resulting in a cup exit. Yes, make a big deal about, about that. But make a bigger deal about the fact that you're losing to a 19th place team in the championship as a Premier League team. What's going on? It's true. It's true. And I mean, to kind of just keep going on that wheelhouse, we're going to talk about some other games uh, where VAR was used or another game. Uh, so we had Chelsea. Uh, they had a comfortable victory against Sheffield Wednesday. But there was another bit of VAR drama in that one, this time it being used. And this is more of a, a discussion about what is considered a clear and obvious error. So um, really quickly, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, they're in the box. Uh, and Padu makes the tackle, gets the ball. Um, first glance, looks like he catches the, the heel of the defender. Defender goes down. Penalty is given. VAR talks in the ref's ear, ref makes the, or it's overturned, and then I think it was three or four minutes later up the pitch, um, then I think it was uh, Aspilicueta uh, gets stepped on, on penalties given, William puts it away, 1-0 Chelsea. I mean, if Sheffield Wednesday scores that goal, is it a, now is it a different game? Probably not. But that being said, and this is where I had, we had a bit of a debate today, was what is considered a clear and obvious error? Because VAR is supposed to be used only if a clear and obvious error is made. For me, 
the tackle um, from Mpadu was so, so close, so tight. Yes, looking at it in slow motion, he did get the ball. But great tackle. It was a great tackle. But that being said, was it a, a big enough error to go straight to VAR and overturn it? Uh, I think so. I think because anytime there's going to be a controversial play like that, so um, a penalty, uh, any sort of offside goal or anything like that, that's why VAR is there. It's to aid the referee. So if he suggests VAR and they go to VAR and it's overturned, it doesn't mean that the referee necessarily made a bad call. He realistically just wanted to go to VAR to make sure that there wasn't a penalty. You know, so you're better to err on the side, side of caution, call the penalty, go to VAR and have it overturned, than not call the penalty, have no VAR, and, it, you know, the, the challenge just goes off like a regular challenge. I think in, in cricket, they have something like this called the, de- the decision review system. And it's essentially VAR. You know, there's a team of, ref- there's a team of screens, Hawkeye, the rest of it. Like Hawkeye came from cricket. I don't think a lot of people know that. They use it in tennis now. They use it in tennis yeah. as well. Um, and it's really, in, in cricket, it's used primarily when the umpire or the referee has considerable doubt about a decision. Is this guy out? When there's a catch low to the ground, did it hit the floor first before he caught it? You know, any kind of 50-50 decision should go to VAR or DRS or whatever you want to call it in whatever sport it is. because the referee needs to be able to make fair calls whether they're and they, and they need to be clear calls too if there's any doubt it should be referred to var i don't necessarily agree that it should be about whether there's a clear and obvious error made because the like we talk about fine margins in football or any kind of sport but really the that fine margin is vague it's a lot of shades of gray and i don't think we can apply a black and white logic to various shades of gray in this instance so what you're saying basically is that we should take out the clear and obvious error part yes. and basically any 50 50 call should go to var especially in light with the fact that that's a penalty decision that's a huge call especially at the state of the game it's zero zero or was it one nil was it zero zero it was no no it was no no so this would have changed the tide of the game it would have influenced the the preceding events I think, yes, it, it should be about whenever the referee has doubt. That's what it should always be. It shouldn't be, you know, the referee made a bad call and we need to overturn it. Because then you don't need VAR. If it's so obvious that the referee's made a mistake, then all you need is like the entire stadium to brandish a red card that they have in their seat or something. I don't know. You don't need VAR for that. You need VAR to eliminate doubt. And, and I, I do agree with you there. And I think that's both. I think that's a fair point. Um, being MLS fans or being an MLS fan here, uh, I think that it's hard because, and I'm, maybe Peter, you can help me on this one, but I think that being watching it being used in the MLS, it's not always the most consistent um, form of technology. Uh, and I think that as fans, we feel that frustration because there's been a lot of times where VAR should have been used, it wasn't used, or it was used when it shouldn't have been used, uh, and the call has gotten wrong even with VAR, uh, and it doesn't really erase that doubt. Um, so I'm really hoping that the FA one, you know, that the, this trial will work out positively, and and when it does come into the Premier League, it is used uh, properly, and and it, it does sort of enhance the game um, to erase that doubt. I don't think it will erase doubt. I mean, let's be honest, guys. Football fandom is is tribalism at its at its best, and it's it's kind of like politics. I mean, you can show fans that a hundred times over that it's the right call, and they're not going to agree with you if it goes against their team. Yeah, but that's a them thing, isn't it? You know, if fans going to be tribalistic as hell, then you know you, you can you can show them scientific proof that the Earth is round. Shout out to my flat earthers, um, <laughs> and they won't they won't accept it because a Liverpool fan said that to them. You know, but going back to the MLS thing, I think most of that is just because the refs are crap in the MLS. We give English referees. Crap. Well, well, it's one of the only one of the only professional leagues that doesn't use FIFA sanctioned well, refereeing, which I don't understand. But I mean, that's a conversation for a different day. Um, so let us just quickly talk about some of the other results from the weekend. Uh, Giant Killers AFC Wimbledon defeat West Ham at home four uh, two with goals by Appia, two goals by Wagstaff and Civic. That was a fun game to watch. 
Um, I mean, West Ham tried to respond and it just seemed that Wimbledon always had a response for them. They're sitting at the bottom of League One right now. So, you know what? It was a nice, probably a breath of fresh air for them to get out of the the bad run of form in the league to come knock down a Premier League team. And now they can go back to the league and we're going to see if it will um, transpire there. Um, let's quickly jump over to the team that I was talking about last week, League Two side, Newport County. They just will not stop. Matthew Dolan lands a late, late equalizer in the 93rd minute against Middlesbrough. I mean, it was a boring match for the most part. <laughs> but you know what? Those uh, it, it made it kind of worthwhile just that the, the last minute there just for them to get that equalizer. That's uh, huge for them. They had to go back now home uh, to play the, the replay later. Uh, I think it's next week they'll be playing. Um, yeah, to, to have a chance now to see if they can, can knock Middlesbrough out. So that's going to be an interesting game to watch. I mean, look out for League Two side Newport County. Oh, yeah. And uh, a quick shout out to Doncaster for uh, reaching the fifth round of the FA Cup for the first time in 60 years. That's huge. That is huge. And we as Leafs fans know all too well about <laughs> going trophyless oh. or having something to cheer about. But, or... I, but I guess you being a Liverpool fan would have the, the same sort of sentiments. So. Yeah, 30 years. Let's move on. <laughs> I would say you too, Peter, but you guys haven't won anything yet. So <laughs> you got to win something before you have a draft. Can I just exactly. make it clear to the listeners the just how smug his face is right now? <laughs> Yeah, you guys haven't won anything in years. He says with grinning ear to fucking ear. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to uh, take it local now for a little bit. Uh, Toronto FC in their offseason. It has been an interesting offseason to say the least. Um, I think the best way to sort of um, analogize it is... Uh, is that a word? Analogize? 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 We, you get it. Analyze? No, I'm saying like an analogy. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, sure. Let's run with analogy. Characterize. Let's just not mention that I teach English. <laughs> uh, so um, a, a great analogy, I think, for this is that Toronto FC is kind of like your uh, your next door neighbor who keeps on fighting with his 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 girlfriend or spouse, and you kind of keep on listening and uh, trying to figure out what exa- what exactly is happening, because um, that just seems to be what's happening in the TFC camp right now. So let's quickly talk about what's happened. Sorry, I don't agree with that analogy at all. You don't agree? No, I have a better analogy for you. Oh, what's your analogy? A house on fucking fire. (laughs) This is fine. Yeah, this This is is fine. fine. This is fine. That dog, that is what's going on with TFC. It's accurate. So um, for those of you who might not know or might not follow Toronto FC, I recommend it right now because it is an absolute shitstorm. So first things first, um, Nick Hagland has gone to FC Cincinnati, uh, his hometown club. Uh, good for him. You know, he was a great yeah, player for TFC. I don't mind it either. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't that bad. Um, Plus, we got a lot of money back. We did. Mm-hmm. More than I think he's worth. We did. They overpaid for him, so it I'm was, happy with that. Yeah, it's win-win. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, so we got Victor Vasquez going uh, to Saudi Arabia. Um, you know what? Like I said, uh, I think it was last week I mentioned it. Qatar? Qatar, yeah. Thank you to Qatar. I'm not even going to cut that out. You know what? I was wrong. Thank you. So Victor mm-hmm. Vasquez going to Qatar. Thank you, Peter. Um and uh, you know what? Like I said last week in the pod, he uh, he was uh, a liability. You know, unfortunately, as much as I loved him, he was a huge part of the championship side that we had. Um, you know, he was a huge part of that team that won the MLS Cup, and I mean the domestic trouble in general. But uh, and at this point, he was he's he's getting older. He's a liability. He's he's constantly injured. Uh, he was just that's a lot of money that was sitting there that wasn't being used on the pitch, and so I'm I'm okay with that. He, brought, he did bring the X factor from midfield, which we didn't have without him. I think sort of towards the tail end of the season, Jonathan Osorio started to become that X factor just because he was sky high on confidence, got some club award, I think, for appearances, 200 appearances or something mm-hmm. like that. So he was just, he's he sort of becoming the homegrown poster boy for Toronto FC, um, which is which was great for the team because Victor Vasquez could not be relied on to, to be fit. Um, but that said, he was starting 11 material straight away when he was fit. He was. No, and, and I mean, he brought a, a whole different uh, level. I think he was probably the one of the best midfielders in the MLS, hands down, when he was 100 Underrated, fit. yeah. I think he won Newcomer of the Year. 
the first year that he was Oh, you did, yeah. Yes, he yeah. did, yeah, and, and well well deserved. Yeah. But let's now get to the juicy stuff, if we will. Uh, so oh, first, Vasquez isn't juicy enough, I guess. First things first, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Gregory Vanderweel, the uh, the Dutchman. Um, so there oof. was a report, I think it was oof. last week. I'm just going to keep saying oof. Was it last it. week, this week? Uh, end um, of last week, I think. End of last yeah. week, yeah. that he was flying back to Toronto and... Uh, Christian Jack from TSN had reported that uh, he had a falling out with the coaching staff uh, and was kicked out of camp and that Greg Vanny had stated that he will never play for Toronto FC ever again. Um, Vanderweel did confirm that on his Instagram page after. Um, there is another rumor that he apparently, uh, there was a, a physical altercation between him and Greg Vanny and that they had to actually be separated. And I am kind of hoping that it's true that he did punch Vanny in the face. I don't know how accurate <laughs> it is. I heard that. Kind of hoping it's true. Uh, not a huge Vanny fan right now. I feel like he's kind of letting this club get set on fire. But that's a different argument. Uh, Peter, man, talk to me, buddy. I say let's put like big giant air quotes around his uh, philosophical differences mm. that he had between him and the coach. If it's true that he punched Vanny in the face, and like, cool, man, I'm cool with you punching Vanny in the face because like, Realistically, I'd want to punch him in the face too. <laughs> I think he's a puppet, to be honest. I think he got lucky that he had a really good team. Uh, I think uh, when you look s- strategically at the squad, he doesn't really have any idea what he's doing when it comes to substitutions and things like that. Um, I think he's a puppet, to be honest. Vanny in general. Um, I think this new GM is coming in saying, what did I walk into? And I feel sorry for him. Because he's walking into a situation where one of his best players left in Vasquez. He, tr- he pretty much had to trade uh, Hagland because it's hometown club. So obviously he wants to go back there. The, all these Javinko rumors of Javinko wanting to leave. Mm-hmm. The, the comments of Josie Outdoor coming out saying, well, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if this is going to be and my Javinko last made year. some comments as well. Exactly. But... There were such such strong rumors of Javinko to Saudi Arabia that you can't ignore them. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest issue right now is he leaves preseason training to go see a doctor about muscle tension in a completely different city, which, you know what? It happens. You're going to go see a specialist. It happens. But there's also the camp of, is he going to do his medical for this Saudi Arabian side? And are we going to see a transfer tomorrow? Are we going to see one Wednesday? Are we going to see one Thursday? There's there's a big question right now as to their, their starting 11, their 18, and their future. When you look at their squad, taking out Josie and Sebastian Javinko, you're starting with John Baccaro or Jordan Hamilton. And when you think of the midfield, if you take out Michael Bradley, you're now stuck with Jay Chapman, Jonathan Azorio, Ryan Telfer, Liam Frazier, Marky Delgado. Like These are guys that probably, with the exception of Azorio, couldn't get into the 18 of atlanta <laughs> couldn't get into the 18 of portland and they're going to be starting 11 for us this is a situation where like like you said Chenge is like this is a house on fire situation and i uh so the, the rumor is right now that um giovinko is linked with al hilal uh, al halal al halal yeah. Hal- all right look at that <laughs> first time first time. <laughs> uh <laughs> i'm an asshole uh, uh al halal in uh, saudi arabia um and the those rumors are kind of just flying off twitter right now um there have been they're trying to to quell those rumors here uh i know that just earlier this or last week um Altador had actually posted a, a, a picture of him and, and Giovinco with the it said it, I think it was an Italian he's staying and then he <laughs> Cicada yeah, Spanish that's right Cicada sorry Spanish yeah. so cultured so cultured you had it one second in the palm of your hand and it's just it all on the apart. floor in a thousand pieces Crazy well done there I'm trying yeah. uh, um, but I mean look at this point we're in a bit of a situation I mean uh, Altador has less than a year on his contract now I think he's uh, done at the end of the season yeah Giovinco yeah. Uh, I think Bradley's contract is coming up as well. Yeah, I think he's done as well. These guys are season. all also in their early 30s. Um, we've Altador had injury problems last season. He seems to be fully fit now. He always has injury problems, so. Mm. And that's another question. Not to mention, um, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I think his um, demeanor is not probably the right word I'm looking for. But yeah, he but he's a bit a bit abrasive. I mean, he's gotten a few red cards, not only for TFC but for Sunderland. But that's as well. Josie, that, though. That's the Josie. It is Josie, it. but 
you don't need that. No, last, you don't. That last year against New York City, I mean, he completely destroyed that game. I mean, it was three or four minutes into the game, he got a red card. Yeah. And after that, Toronto FC was playing ca- I th- catch I up. Think, I think the cleanest he's ever been was during that championship run when everyone was focused and everyone was working towards the same thing and, and they had a clear goal in mind. By the way, can I going off on that a little bit, None of us here actually condone punching people, no. <laughs> coaches, although we are not big fans of Greg Vanny. In that instance, if there was a physical altercation, I do commend the coaches for saying, let's get rid of Van der Veel because that shouldn't be in the club. And if Josie has an attitude problem, then you know Sebastian Jovinko has an attitude problem because he's been more than vocal on more than one occasion. Anytime there's been a contract extension or he's just generally not happy with the team, with the way the team is playing, he said something. Well, I think that's the thing too, is that now you have Eltador and Giovinco kind of airing their grievances publicly, and I, that's not good for the team as well. That, um, that, that sort of, that's that's sort of a, a, a fuck you to the front office, in my opinion. And that's, you know, at, at that point, like that's when you kind of want to be handling that kind of stuff behind the scenes. Whether they're gone or not, it, it for the fact that they're out making these pleas in public on TSN, you know, it that leaves fans like us, you know, concerned. And and every time now we hear a rumor, we're, we're kind of jumping to our feet because at this point we know that they're unhappy. They want a contract extension. They want to be here. We don't know what the how the club feels. They haven't told us. Um, so, you know, we're kind of left in that that unknowing. Historically, whenever a player goes off and runs their mouth in the media, it's usually because they don't know anything. It's not because they're bad players or they're angling for an extension. I mean, there's certainly like, you do see that at the top levels, especially in Spain and Madrid. You know, we saw with Ronaldo all the time. He's like, I don't know where my future is. And then two weeks later, he gets another 150,000 euro a week. You know, that that's that, that situation. But in this case... I don't see Josie as a mercenary. I don't see Sebastian as a mercenary. I think they both love the city. They love the team. They've had good memories here. If Josie's being asked the question and he doesn't know the answer to it, he's going to be honest. He's not, he's not savvy enough and he's not got the personality to lie. He's just going to say, well, I don't know. You probably know as much as me. I think it comes down to the management group as it stands. Obviously, Bill Manning uh, appointed... Ali Curtis. Ali Curtis. That's who it is. Um, as the new GM when Bezpachenko left. Obviously, he comes with, you know, uh, pedigree. He, he created a, a team at the Red Bulls, which was, which was quite good. But I think he needs to make contact with these players. I think he needs to sit them down and say, okay, you are in our future plans. We're trying to work with you right now or work out the salary cap. Because, again, it is a salary cap league. We can't just throw, you know, mm. crazy amounts of money at absolutely everyone obviously designated player rules are a little bit different but they need they need to sort of sit down with them and work with them right now because it's very bad pr to have your two best players come out and say and mind you bradley's been quiet the whole off season hasn't said absolutely anything which i think makes me more more nervous than sebastian and josie coming out and saying stuff because if he if he's not saying anything who are we to think that he doesn't even care? Yeah, no, but this is the thing is Bradley's TFC's captain. The captain comes out and says negative, then you know we're screwed. At least this way, if 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 the TFC PR team had any kind of brain, which I don't completely believe they do, they can just spin this and say Giovinco and Altador are being prima donnas. If the captain's not saying anything, then it's fine. Uh, you know, the worst case scenario is, you know, it's just those two players being you know, prima donnas, but I, I agree. But I mean, at the same time, I think Bradley's been a fantastic captain in regards to how he handles himself in the media. Mm, very the Toronto sports are, it's, it's a media firestorm all the time, no matter what team you are on. If you're captaining that team, you know, you're going to face the music at some point. Right. And I think Bradley's been really good at um, handling the media in that sense. And I mean, he doesn't come out and, and say, stupid things he doesn't come out and and say things uh prematurely and and he's i think he's very well spoken and um i mean you know last season aside he he wasn't being played in his role 
um, as a as a midfielder. He was kind of there was a, quite a few games where he was put as a defender, which he's not. And I mean, you know, as a defensive midfielder, fantastic. But to put him as a center back, it just doesn't work. And I so I feel like you know he didn't have a great season last year. But that being said, I think that as a captain, he has conducted himself quite well. And so I don't I don't know if I agree with you on that point, only because he's not going. He's not the kind of player to come out and say something. He's not the kind of player to come out and sort of you know he did say last year that there was um some um some toxic um some toxic attitudes in the dressing room and i think it's it's safe to say that 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 person might have been gregory vanderweel um you know like that, well, he's been known for that he has yeah. been yeah i mean i think it was what fenerbahce he came from was Cagliari. Cagliari, but I think he also played for was a better Fenerbahce, he was a Fenerbahce well. and he was at yeah. PSG for a and while. he and and all of those teams had said that he had a bit of an attitude problem in the dressing room. So I think that's that's safe to say. And the fact that he you know Bradley did come out to say, look, there was some some toxicness in the dressing room. That's but, huge for him to say that. You know, so. but Bradley hasn't been asked. It's the off season. The minute he gets asked, I bet you we're going to hear a lot of it. And that's my biggest issue with it is that they're interviewing Josie and Sebastian, but they're not coming out and interviewing. Michael Bradley, who's the club captain, he needs to come out and do the rallying cry for all the supporters right now and say, we're not going anywhere. Yeah. You have the three designated players. We're not going anywhere. Victor had to go because he, he had to go you know, make his money in, in Qatar. <laughs> uh, Gregory obviously didn't work out, but the, the team that is here is here mm. because right now, like, I'll be honest, I'm a season ticket holder. I have been since day one, which I take as a point of pride. I opted out for my Champions League tickets this year due to the fact that I have absolutely no idea who's going to be in the starting 11. When I look at the depth chart, I have no idea who's going to play. I have no idea who's going to be in the 18. It, it's just there's so much so much going around right now, so many rumors. I don't know if Javinko's going to be there. I don't know if Altidore is going to be there. It's it's a scary time to be. I mean, I'm a season ticket holder myself, and it's a scary time to be a Toronto FC fan. I mean, it's because I mean, there was so much heartache and so much hurt for so many seasons uh, that you know there's sort of these glimpses of are we going to go back to that? And uh, there's a lot of fear, and I I think it's justified. Um, not to mention we are literally less than a month away from their first Champions League game uh, against Independent. Um, Independiente? Uh, Independiente. Independiente, thank you. It's cultured. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, uh, obviously it's a round of 16 game. Usually the round of 16 games from the Central American countries, nah, they're not that great. Um, so we'll see what happens. It's a game that Toronto should win. Should win. But now, obviously, these questions are, are causing more and more. Um, I don't think we're getting to the semis. Not with this squad. More anxiety. And well, I, I think they need to secure this starting eleven. Somebody needs to come out and say, "Look, this is what's happening. This is our, you know, this is our plan. This is what we is we want." Have we heard anything from the GM since he came in? Did no, he even I give think, a statement? I think he did his initial press conference. We haven't heard anything since. What Not, did he say in that press conference? But I think he was just kind of introducing himself. Just Hi, my name is yeah. Ali Curtis. Yeah, I'm I Ali do Curtis. this. You know, he has a connection with Bill Manning because Bill Manning drafted him in the MLS. What do you say? Like cats or something? Like what? <laughs> I think that's uh, yeah, verbatim. I think that's exactly what he said. Yeah, um, big cat lover. Yeah. No, it, it, my biggest issue with TFC right now is we have no news of incoming players to replace the players that are yeah. gone. We can't rely on Jonathan Osario to be our midfield linchpin this season. Because and he's actually, a box-to-box player who's he, going to be he's, inconsistent. Exactly. Yeah. He's box-to-box. He's not creative enough. And realistically, I think he's overrated. But that's just me. I think he had a very good season last season because of the players who play around him. Mm. I think if Javinko goes, you're going to see such a regression from Jonathan Osario that you're going to wonder who, who played the last two seasons. Well, like, I, think, I think Vasquez leaving was an inevitability. Maybe not this season, but definitely next season. If we don't replace Vasquez and we don't get somebody to fill Giovanco's spot as sort of like a hybrid 10-9 role, like a false nine, we're going to be bottom of the league. We, it's that simple. We haven't even filled Tosaint Ricketts' spot yet. Mm. And let's just be real. Tosaint Ricketts Rinket, was not a prize pony in the MLS. But he was a good super sub. He wasn't even a super sub. The guy would come on. He'd do a couple hundred meter dashes and then... 
Nothing. Get no finish. To, get to his get his head to a ball here and there, and that was pretty much but it. it. Was, There's absolutely no finish. But he did score some pretty important goals, and his pace was always a worry because MLS defenders are, well, I've seen faster turtles, let's be honest. It goes to show right now that the next club to St. Rick is signed with is in Lithuania. <laughs> hey, man, are you hey, dissing the Lithuanian him, league? Come on, what's wrong? I'm not, I'm not dissing the Lithuanian league. I'm, dis, I'm dissing great, to St. Ricketts. Listen, listen, they make great batteries, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so let's just uh, end the TFC talk there. Uh, we can always bring that up as the season goes on. We'll definitely have more to say. If I, we're going to have continues. a lot more to say. And, and I next can't week, wait. I'm hoping that we don't have uh, any bad news to give. Hopefully, we Zero have and news. ten, let's go. Um, so let's quickly just talk about uh, hits and misses for the week, guys. Takes and misses. Um, so I will start. Uh, so my take of the week is, drum roll, please, all right. We're good. <laughs> I was just kidding, but thank you. Um, Usain Bolt finally retiring from football after. Tell me why that's a al- take again. Oh, you're going to find out. After an illustrious season with the Mariners over in uh, Australia, this guy did not play one game, one competitive match. He had zero goals, zero minutes. Zero- what are you retiring from? Yeah, the fact that he had to come out and say, like, I'm retiring. For- that, I guess he's Jamaican. That's, so it's just- that, that's, that's like me saying that I'm retiring from, from professional hockey. I've never played a single minute in professional hockey. But you can come out and say it. But I can say it? Yeah. Of course. You know, I know he had the trial with the team. You know, he he kind of, you know, like, I'm sorry, man, but stick to your sports. You know what? For me, as a football fan, it's a take because, look, it was it was super exciting. It was great for the Australian League, for the Central Coaster. But was the it? Central Co- well, it was great was for it? the, it was great. You know what? Look, would we be talking about the Central Coast Mariners if Usain Bolt did not say he was retiring? Like, if he did not go there, would they have been on the map? No, it was it was a big deal because of who yeah, he I is. Think they, I mean, what's the team again? <laughs> Usain Bolt? No, the team. Oh, uh, Central, Coast Central Coast Mariners. Mariners. Central Coast Mariners. I know that they're sort of a big deal in Australia, but like, let's be honest, this is more of a take. He went there, he got a professional contract, he got paid to do absolutely nothing but show up and train, and then he gets to make a big deal out of when he leaves and, after and half the co- season. And he tried to cause like a whole little contract stir with the team saying that he had a bunch of interest from a, a Champions a Champion League side That's team amazing. and that the, the, the Mariners are going to offer him a contract. Was it and a, then he did it. Champions League team, was it Besiktas? <laughs> Come, Come to, to Besiktas. <laughs> <laughs> and then for my miss of the week, uh, and I think that you and I, Chengates, have a similar one. We talked about this, or the same one, I should say. Uh, it would just be uh, Everton and Millwall fans going at it um, after the match. Look, keep the hooliganism out of football. We don't need it. It's it's stupid. I'm sorry. It's, I think it's... I think you're you're gonna have more success talking to a brick wall because Millwall fans and I will not regret this statement at all. In the future, if somebody asks me about it, they're scum. They are the worst fans in football, and they're proud of it. I think they have a chance. I mean, like, women will will scum, and we're proud of it. It's something like that, something along those lines. They like it. the fact that they're 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 horrible. They like the fact that they're racist, xenophobic, small-minded hooligans, and they don't deserve to be in football. They don't deserve that win. They don't. Yeah, I, the more I go on, the worse it gets. Really. I'm just going to make a PSA here and say that Chengiz is not a fan of Millwall. I don't think any self-respecting English fan is a fan of Millwall. That's, that is that is a fair That's point to true. make. Um, so, Chengiz, do you want to tell us your takes and misses for the week, brother? So, yeah, the Millwall was a big one. Um, my miss for this week is that and also Monaco. You sack Jardim, <laughs> pay him 7 million euros to basically buy him out of his contract and go on a early Christmas vacation he's already in monaco he just has to go to the beach right <laughs> and then you get Henri in you give him what like two months less than that you sack him and you jot him back in what's going on there i, I have mean, a funny stat actually um Henri scored more goals for arsenal than days he was in charge at Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a nightmare for him. I, f- I feel Absolutely. bad. I do feel bad. I mean, it was it was fun to watch uh, him fall apart, but it was, I, f- I do feel bad for him. I mean, it just goes to show you that not every great player can uh, can be a manager. You know, I'm I'm just really worried about Jamie Carragher moving forward because that's two out of three of the top Sky pundits who have had a failed, short-lived managerial career. First, Gary Neville with. The- Valencia and now Thierry Henry with Monaco. What's next? Jamie Carragher at Newport County. 
Let's see how that goes. Oh, oh man. They might win an FA Cup round again. They might win an FA Cup, and then I would be more successful than any of the two. Anyways, <laughs> um, my take for this week is, you're going to be surprised by both of this, but both of you are going to be surprised by this, Gonzalo Higuain. I thought he had a fantastic debut. He did everything but score. He seemed like the striker that I remember him from Madrid. I didn't see him at Napoli very much, but you saw like he, he didn't need any time to adapt. He got in there, he started making very good runs. He might have been a bit tired from the whole, the events for the last few days of coming to England and signing all the documents and then not really having much time in training, but he was potent. He was all over the pitch that game. I mean, every it seemed that every 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 time the, the ball time. was every time the ball was coming to the box, he was the first one to it. It's just he couldn't get into the back of the net. But he seemed it's like it's gonna come if he keeps playing like that. He's, it's gonna come. He seemed like a like an overweight Firmino, <laughs> in the best possible way. <laughs> Worst teeth. Oh man, that's a yeah. low blow. Come on, <laughs> Firmino's got really nice teeth. That's okay. That's, also, <laughs> that's also Ryan is balding. Should we go, should oh, go there? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh. Worse hair. These are some low shots here. My <laughs> God, uh, Peter, what about you, buddy? So my take for this week, uh, my uh, buddy David Beckham. Your buddy, my David buddy Beck- David Beckham, <laughs> bought a ten percent stake in Salford City. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, some of the other class of '92 uh, also own Salford City, and they now own sixty percent of Salford City. So they are majority owners of the club. Uh, that's along with. Paul Scholes, Gary and Phil Neville, and uh, Nicky Butt. I think Ryan Giggs owns a little bit of that. Ryan too. Giggs finally found some time to step out of his brother's wife and uh, <laughs> <laughs> do something productive. <laughs> uh, low blows. But let's be honest, Ryan Giggs is this a trash to <laughs> We're rolling into episode three. You see, you mentioned Millwall. And the rest of this podcast just turned to shite. Oh, man. <laughs> like, this is what... <laughs> Can you blame me? No, I love it. I, I also think it's funny because he also owns uh, an MLS team. So Inter-Miami yes, Inter- Inter- FC. Yes. Yeah. So he's the majority owner of Inter-Miami FC as well as now owns Salford City. I didn't know H&M paid that well. I know, right? And yeah. he's, he's going to be the majority owner of his wife's uh, fashion line pretty soon if she's not careful because he's got to keep pumping money into it. So. <laughs> Victoria Beckham, you better get back to those Spice Girls to pay your bills. He's going to have no, to sell she... a lot of underwear. <laughs> yeah. Did you know Victoria... And grooming products. Did you know Victoria Beckham was design consultant on the Land River Evoke? She did the interior. It's a very nice interior. Go sit inside one. Highly recommended. Maybe I'll have to. Yeah, just. I think she's doing fine. I just want to point out that what uh, that fact did not make my life any better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, neither does the fact that you're a Manchester United fan. But here we are. Yeah. All right. See what you've done to me. (laughs) Let's get to my miss for this week. My miss for this this week is uh, dick pick alert. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then, not not county owner uh, Al Hardy. I guess he's Big Al. Is yeah, that what he's called? Al. Yeah. I think that's a in the UK. Uh, he's facing an <laughs> FA investigation over an intimate picture that he posted on Twitter. I don't think it was anything it wasn't even intimate. On purpose. No, it, it was a screenshot of his it, like, it just, of his photos, and it just happened to be one of the what somebody just so <laughs> happened that his his uh, his member was in there's Johnson. Oops, oops, I didn't mean to. Yeah, his hard hardy. We his can call it that. Uh, hours later, he actually put the club up for sale. <laughs> so reluctantly, just to add insult to injury, he's now gonna lose his football club. Oh, I, I, although in fantasy, he's probably was looking to sell it. This may have just accelerated that process uh, just a little bit. And yeah. a note to all guys listening: nothing good comes of dick pics. Can we please stop <laughs> doing them? Bulge pics are much better than. Okay. <laughs> That's, that's for our next podcast. That's going to yes. be dating yeah. advice for men. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No dick pics, just bulge pics. Just yep. the bulge. Thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. And that's going to do it for us here on the Starting 11 podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please leave a rating and a review with your thoughts about the show. You can follow the show on Twitter at XI Podcast and feel free to send your questions or comments to the Starting 11 podcast at gmail.com. That's the Starting XI Podcast at gmail.com. And we will try to answer them on the pod next the following week. And until next time, on behalf of Chengaze. Hello. Bye-bye. Peter. Yep. And myself. Cheers and thanks for listening.